Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Good morning, church. Our Bible reading this morning will be taken from Psalm 146. At the end of this reading, I'm going to say this is the word of the Lord. Please respond by saying thanks be to God. Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose help is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, welcome now for the time where we actually look into the word of God and um, it's been an incredible time. I won't lie to you. Uh, just even preparing for this was really, really short time. I've never prepared this. Um, it's been hard. I don't think I've ever prepared for a message in such a short space of time. But such is the way things have gone this week. If this is your first time joining us, we're so happy to have you. Uh, we've been going through a series in the book of Jonah, but we're going to put a pause on that now because I do want to speak to us from this psalm that has just been read for us. We are all in need of direction, of hope. And so we can only look to God for that. And so we should ask God to help us before we start going ahead. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need you at this time to fill our hearts with, oh God, the encouragement that only you can give, the hope that only you can give. And so I'm praying, O oh God, that as we look through your word, that you speak to us, speak through me, and let the words of my mouth and meditation of all our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. To which we all say, Amen. What a week. Honestly, if you ask me what happened nine days ago, I am not sure. That is before, you know, this week started. We started with a huge amount of zeal and then that turned into a little bit of deflation and then that turned into a bit of despair and then fear and then things changed. You know, the amount, the rapid rate of change is so, I told some of the staff members that human beings were not built to be able to deal with that kind of thing in terms of adaptation. This week alone, I recorded a video that I was meant to send to a network of churches that we belong to. I recorded it, they were processing the video 
by the time they were sending the video, some of the things I had said in that video were already obsolete because things have changed so quickly. And we're having to adapt to the deluge of information, deluge of data coming you know, to, to us through our screens and through many other things. And you're trying to adapt. How do I react in all of these things? And it's causing something in all of us, I'm sure. If I use this word, you'd be like, that's me. Exhaustion. I am tired. And I know you are tired. Not just physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Aren't you tired? It's exhausting. But one of the other emotions that people felt this week, the one that really touched me, was fear. A lot of people were scared. Somebody in my gospel community said that they were contemplating whether to sleep on their bed or under their bed. Oh, when the person said that, that really broke my heart. Another person I know, a family, that on Tuesday night, they actually slept on the floor. And one of their children, a seven-year-old boy, he was still feeling the effects of what had happened. It was as though his innocence was taken away because he was introduced to an aspect of life that he had not been used to. And I know this for sure because I spoke to that seven-year-old boy to encourage him. There's been a lot of fear. So this fear and this exhaustion that we have, we're asking ourselves, what do we do now? How do we move on? Can I correct that question and say, I don't think we want to move on, but we need to move from. That is, from the things that we have experienced and the things that we know, how do we move from? We need to move because we can't linger where we were before, but we need to do that in light of the things that have happened and that we know. But as we also move on, it's important we move from, sorry. We need, to, we need to do it in the right way. With all the changes that are happening and the kind of adaptations we need to make, here's what we need. We need some kind of certainty. And the psalmist does this. If you notice in verse 1, he starts with praise the Lord. And at the end of verse 10, he ends with praise the Lord. He is putting himself, as he considers all changes, rooting himself in something that doesn't change. And that is the only thing and hope that we have now. It is to put our hope in the Lord. And that's what we titled this sermon. Our hope is in the Lord. And we'll look at it simply under three headings. Destroying hope, speaking hope, and fulfilling hope. Destroying hope, speaking hope, and fulfilling hope. I don't know whether this will be a typical sermon. You will notice probably that I'm speaking to you in a pics of exhaustion. So please don't expect any rallying cries. I did that last week. Destroying hope. My wife Tosi and I, a few years ago, took a mentee couple of ours uh, to one, our favorite restaurant. And we ordered what looked like a sumptuous meal, you know, with all the fanciful names. By the time we ate it, we were disappointed. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. Sometimes it's just nice to go to a booker, honestly. Take the one that you are familiar with. But why were we disappointed? Because our taste expectations were not met. 
we looked at the meal, our experience with the restaurant, and we thought this is what this should taste like. And I remember that couple trying their best to look like they were enjoying it. They told us later they didn't really enjoy it that much. You see, why do we get disappointed in life? Disappointment comes when expectations aren't met. Question, have you been disappointed this week or the last two weeks with human beings? I'm sure you have. Why? Because we had expectations. Expectations of certain actions or certain reactions from our leaders and from others. And when we didn't get them, we were disappointed. And acute disappointment actually leads to despair. If you were to ask the psalmist that wrote Psalm 146, if he was to look at us, you know what he would say? Not rather uncaringly, he would say something like this, what did you expect? He says in verse 3, don't put your trust in princes. And the reason he says that is that he gives this huge caution. It's a caution about humanity. He says, in human beings, why? He says, because they can't save. He says, don't put your trust in human beings, in princes, because they cannot save. Now, here's the thing. The point isn't to never expect anything from human beings. But that rather, when you put the weight of expectation on, the weight of expectation that is left for the divine only, when you put that on human beings, you will be disappointed. Why? Because they cannot save. He goes on further to explain that humans are limited. Why? In our mortality, verse 4, when their spirits depart, they return to the ground. On the, that very day, their plans come to nothing. By mortality, he's saying all of us will die. But he isn't just saying that. He's also saying something. There is a condition that takes us from A to B. A from birth, B to death. And in that condition, at some point, it is too early as you are growing your mortality, your wisdom isn't well developed because you don't have the experience that is required. And so people without that wisdom will disappoint you. But also those who are far advanced, at some point their faculties start to wane. They don't always react in the same way that they once reacted. They will disappoint. But you see, in comparing with the divine, in comparing with God in verse 6, it says God remains faithful. There is one more crucial element that makes human beings fail, is that we can never be truly faithful. Because we are plagued by a disease called sin. And sin has corrupted all of us, contaminated everything. Not equally, but all of us. So don't put your trust in princes. Don't put the weight of the divine upon humanity. Why? You will always be disappointed. See, so many of us thought this was a pivotal moment in our history. That we're on the cusp of something great in Nigeria. But you are disappointed with the leadership. You're disappointed with leadership at various levels in this country. Why? Because perhaps you expected them to be faster in their speed of reaction to things that were presented to, before them. 
perhaps in their lack of not ceding to the specific, to specific demands of the protest, perhaps in their brutal reaction to some of the protests, and I'm speaking specifically about what happened in Lekki on Tuesday night. And also perhaps in their reaction to the aftermath of it all, maybe they didn't curb the hooligans as quickly as possible. Maybe they didn't feel the empathy of the, they didn't empathize with the feelings of pain in the nation. Because of that, for some of us, not only is there collective disappointment, there is collective despair. For a lot of you, the youth and the protesters who had that, who had that sense of something will change, now you are feeling disappointed. And not just feeling disappointed in them, you are feeling disappointed in yourself. You are thinking, we were failures. With all the energy that we put in, we failed. I want to speak to you guys first directly. We are not disappointed in you. I make a joke that I, I am, I am I'm a youth also. I still think I'm a young man, but maybe I can speak to some of the youth. We are not disappointed in you. You are not failures. I'm not saying that in a part way, in a condescending way. I mean that factually. You may not have achieved everything you wanted, but guess what? What was the hashtag of the movement? End SARS. SARS has ended. Say, so, oh, now I understand. It hasn't brought an end to police brutality. It hasn't all of a sudden changed some of those policemen. Some of them are still rogue. I understand that because I'm sure you are realistic that ending SARS did not mean that you would change them because that has to do with a change of heart and a change of environment. But at least you brought them to end that. You got the attention of leaders. They said they will set up judicial panels. They said they will grant training for the policemen. They said that they were going to look into their remuneration. None of these things existed before the protest started. You are not failures. In fact, I dare say you are heroes. Every single one of you. You actually showed us. You showed me that I should expect more from human beings. Well, some of us had, in some ways, said to your tent to Israel, me and my family, me and my church, me and my business. You inspired us to think again about this nation. You inspired us to think, you know, collectively, we can achieve great things. Look at what you guys did in a matter of 12 days. You are heroes. I'll come back to you, but I know that there are some who are also disappointed in the youth. They say that, look at what you guys did. You didn't listen to us, and now you enable this carnage, the vandalism that took place after. It was all your fault. And in fact, many people are quoting the proverb that what elders see sitting down, young people can't see standing up. Can I engage with some of people saying that? First of all, I want to ask you, Elder, that is sitting down, what are you seeing? What do you see? Because, let me tell you, it's true. Elders see certain things that, that young people haven't seen in a while. But don't forget, you are sitting down. The elders are sitting down because 
They have to sit down. The elders are sitting down because they lack the strength, the zeal, and the sometimes naive optimism that the youth possess, which enables the youth to be standing up and you sitting down. Do you see that? For a car to move, not only do you need the chassis, not only do you need the engine, you need the power. The Bible says that I speak to you young men because you are strong. They have something that you don't have. Are you able to see that? It is true that the youth need the wisdom of the elders, but the elders need the inspiration that arises from the sometimes naive idealism and optimism that the youth bring. They made us, some of us, believe again. They removed the cynicism that we had. They collaborated in non-divisive ways, the kind of things that separate us all the time. These guys were able to transcend that and actually get our leadership to listen while many of us are trying to get meetings with the leaders. They were able to get demands to the leaders. As an elder that is sitting down, do you see that or are your eyes closed? Because if this is the point where you now want to start telling them, you see, foolish youth, you didn't listen to us. Can I suggest that at that point, you are an elder that is sitting down, but your eyes are closed. This is not a time for condescension. This is not a time to be patronizing. If you do that, you will not show yourself to be a leader. It is a time for us to guide. I remember a couple of years ago, about 15 years ago, there was a church where they used to allow young people to preach as well as the old people. And so there was this young guy that went, he preached, and he preached with so much zeal. And in some irreverent ways, he actually told the older people, he, he preached truth, and he, he challenged the older people and said something like, uh, don't depend on the anointing that you had 10 years ago. We, he was trying to get them to move. And he did that in some irreverent way. And, and then... It was said that there were going to be some of the elders of the church that were going to meet him and to tell him, you don't do that, you don't do that, and just bring down his spirit. And one elder, a man called Willie Uchea, told them, he said, the wick of a lantern is meant to be trimmed. It's not meant to be cut off. Be careful that in trying to trim it, you don't cut it off. You trim it so that the light will shine brighter. And he spared them from actually going hard at that young man. He eventually spoke with the young man and told him, guided him, but encouraged him. If he didn't do that, that would have been the end of that young man being able to actualize the gifts that God had given him. That young man is the person that is speaking to you now. If you are an elder that is sitting down, lead guide don't start condescending appreciate what it is that they achieved but i do want to come back to us youth you see one of the things you have to realize is there's a curse that usually comes with youth and it's a curse of impatience many times you want to achieve certain things but you want to achieve it now you may look at the past generation and say, well, you guys didn't do anything. That's why we're taking this into our hands. It's true. But the issue is not just time. The issue is, what did you do with the time? 
What do you do with the time? You see, those who are most wicked, sadly, those who are most unrighteous, they are often wise when it comes to time. They think more long term. They are more strategic. They are more patient. You guys achieved a lot. But now, don't allow it to waste. What will you do with the time that you have now? You've brought a, a sense of awareness into people. What will you do with it? If you want to change things from a political level, if you want to change the highest office, you need at least three to four election cycles. But that three to four election cycles, what will you be doing? About two weeks ago, I shared about a strategy, a path that protestation should lead to coordination, negotiation, consolidation, and institution. And I know there are other people doing a number of things, trying to consider that now is the time for you to take these things seriously. There's no such thing as one youth party. Let there be various ones. You are not, all of you don't agree on everything. You don't have the same ideology. But you can start to agree that we need to do something. And for both young and old, let us not forget the office of the citizen. We are in a participative democracy. We don't always have to have to, to get to elect, elected uh, office to be able to fulfill what we are called to do. Our hope, though it's not in humanity, we are created in the image of God. And if we look only to the leaders, if we look only to the princes, our hope will be dashed because they cannot save. But that takes me to my second point. Speaking hope, second point. If placing too much weight on humanity leads us to disappointment and despair, what are we to do? The psalmist tells us. In verse 5, he says, Blessed are those whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in Yahweh their God. Put your hope in God. Let your help come from Him. Because, you see, created human beings are that exactly. Created. They are finite. And they are plagued with sin. But this God does not have any limitations. Why? Because He is the Creator. He is infinite. And he is forever faithful, verse 6. He is the maker of heaven and earth, creator, and the sea and everything. Then, but he is also forever faithful. He is not plagued by the same things that limit us. That's why you can depend on him. In all our instability, we need to anchor ourselves in something that is stable. But you may be a protester that does not believe in God. And you may say something like, now you've gone all religious on me. How can I connect with a creator God that is infinite? He is too distant from us. He cannot possibly care about the plight of the oppressed. That is why I can't be go I don't have the luxury of praying. That's why I protest, because God isn't going to come and do anything for us. He's this creator big God who couldn't care for the oppressed. To which I want to say, your view about him is not totally accurate. Because whilst you are correct, he's infinite and creator, he is not aloof. And the psalmist demonstrates that 
He is far more into causes than any of us is. He says that by describing him in 10 different ways from verse 7 to 9, let me read them. He says, one, he upholds the cause of the oppressed. Two, he gives food to the hungry. Three, he sets prisoners free. Four, he gives sight to the blind. Five, he lifts up those that are bowed down. Six, he loves the righteous or the just. Seven, he watches over the foreigner. Eight, he sustains the fatherless. Nine, he sustains the widows. Ten, he frustrates the ways of the wicked. Could it be that you have misunderstood the God of the Bible? When you consider all that is said about him here? But I think I hear what you are going to say to me. If that is the case, then why hasn't he done all things? these things? Why is it that there are widows that are being discouraged? Why is it that people are still being oppressed? To which I want to say, the God of the Bible always achieves his means through human beings. He achieves his means through natural ways. The Bible also says he sends rain, but we also know that there is the science that enables, that explains how rain comes. He uses natural means. And so he uses people to be able to go and meet the oppressed. He uses people like you, but he only has imperfect people to work with. Many of us don't even know how we contribute to the inequalities that happen in our day. So here, it demo what the psalmist is doing is that he's demonstrating that this God cares. He's talking about this God's desire, but he's also telling you practically that this God achieves this only through imperfect peoples. Therefore, if he's doing it through imperfect people, it will be imperfectly done. We are not perfect, but he uses us anyway. And that's why, even though you may say that there are so many people suffering, I can tell you also so many people whose suffering has been met by the church, but also by people like you don't, who don't believe. But then there are some people who are Christians who kept silent throughout all this whole protest, who are monitoring, but you monitored with disturbance in your heart. Because you said, I saw among the protests people that were protesting for maybe a, a view of sexuality that we Christians don't agree with. Maybe they use coarse language, the kind that we don't, coarse language, the kind that we don't approve of. They were disrespectful. Some of them don't believe in God. How can we as Christians join that kind of protest? How can we say, approvingly, this was a God thing? And I want to say this to you. We can show solidarity with people we don't agree on in many things because the larger cause the larger thing that the movement was fighting for is something that God cares about. Did you read verse 7 to 9? Even within the Christian church, we don't all agree on everything, do we? And yet we're able to gather together for a larger cause. And also, I do want to say this. If you say all we need to care about is the gospel and the spreading of God's kingdom and leave this other thing to God, that is, we are just called to pray and allow God to handle this. Consider that the spreading of the kingdom is also meant to be God's work, not ours. But how does God achieve it? Through us, isn't it? God always uses humans. And so if God is a God of justice, who do you think he's going to use? But secondly, 
I want you to also consider that if the spread of the kingdom is what is uttermost in God's heart, it doesn't mean that is what is exclusive. It would be like you who says, you know what, ultimately I want to train my kids to believe in God and follow Jesus. Ultimately. And therefore I'm not sending them to formal education. I don't care about them developing any skills. I don't care about them, you know, understanding mathematics, understanding language, understand. I don't care about any of those things. Of course, what is uttermost in your desire doesn't mean that is all that is exclusive. And by the way, just from a practical standpoint, if we work for a better and more just society, it enables a better or a greater ability for us to spread the gospel peacefully. So having addressed both parties, I do want to say this. How do you gain this hope? How does it apply to you in this time of disappointment? Because you see, we, it requires us going back to God. But how do we recover some of us with the atrocities that we viewed, we saw on social media? How do we get over it with the gunshots that you heard, with the fear that gripped you, with the disappointment? Some of us are just willing... Now we are just we just decided that almost, let me just marry a foreigner. I need to get out of here because I've given up on this country. Can I suggest that I don't want you to have the same despair that the hooligans had in their hearts? Why do hooligans destroy? Hooligans destroy because destruction is in their heart. Or let me put it this way: they there is they've lost hope in their heart. They've lost hope for a good future in their heart, a good future for themselves. All they see is carnage for themselves because they have no ability to construct a good future for themselves. So that only breeds destruction. So when given the ability, when the restraints are taken away, they work out the destruction and the hopelessness in their heart. But many of us, we do have the ability but right now it's hopelessness that is there. And so you say, I've given up on Nigeria, I'm getting out. Let me help us in how we bring down this hope. You see, notice the psalmist starts with praising God and he ends with praising God. But though he is aware of all that is wrong in the society, though he is aware of all that is wrong in the society, he still sees that God is worthy of praise. However, let me tell you, he doesn't always feel like praising God. Just like many of us don't always feel, you know, we should, but we don't always feel like praising God. How do I know that? Because he has to remind himself. He says, my soul, praise the Lord. He has to remind himself. He speaks to himself to praise the Lord. Part of our problem is our inability to manage information properly. You see, what has happened, the atrocities have happened, they are fact, they are true, but they are not the only truths. You should not meditate on them. You should be aware of them. Because there is such a temptation that we have to dwell further and dig further into something we are already aware of. You see, getting aware of something is... Oh, they said this. Oh, they said that that is true. Meditating on it is to constantly keep running the same thing, looking at it from different angles. And many of us, when that happens, what happens is that we lose sight of God 
Who is our help? And therefore, our hope goes away. Have you been meditating on all the things that make you angry? Have you been meditating on all the things that make you sad? That is why you are where you are. You keep listening to yourself. The, 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 the condition that has been formed by meditating on all of those things. Reminds me of a famous quote by a Welsh preacher in London decades ago. A man called David Martin Lloyd-Jones. He said this. If you are unhappy at this moment, he said, have you realized that, the most, that most of the unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Do you realize that most of the unhappiness in your life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? We have been listening to ourselves, but we listen to the, ourselves in the condition whereby we have meditated on all that is wrong. You see, being aware of what is happening, some of the wrong that's happening is one truth. Take that truth, but being aware of the reality of the God, of love, who created the universe, who we can put our hope in, is another truth. Both of them exist. You need to be aware of one, but you need to meditate on the other one. It is when we meditate on God's word, that we are able to praise the Lord. So many of us, the Satan tempts us, as I told somebody this week. Satan, is, let me use this analogy, it's like we are trees. We are trees around the water. You that are a Christian, trees around the water. But Satan says, oh, there's a difficult situation. So you know what, thou tree, it is important for you now not to be by the stream. You need to be in the desert. And when you are in the desert, you would eventually, you know, uh, get ready. When you are ready, you will now eventually come back to the stream. But right now, the best place to be in the desert, let me translate that. There are so many of us. We have removed ourselves from the places where we can get strength, the word of God. Your devotions have collapsed because your devotions are on Twitter and on Instagram. Your devotion in the word of the Lord doesn't exist again. So many of us, because of this whole online thing, we don't attend church again. We don't attend our gospel communities. Do you know how many people started in my gospel community with so much depression? Eventually, at the end of it, he said, oh, thank God for that. I told certain people, get off social media. Now, here is the word of the Lord. Focus on this kind of thing. Eventually, like, thank you. I was moving to despair. It became so much that on Thursday, we in our gospel community, because there was no gospel community meeting, people in our gospel community called for a gospel community meeting because they needed that to be lifted up. If you are somebody that is being discouraged now, can I suggest to you, it's not because oh, all, everything is hopeless. God is there. Your inability to praise God right now is because you have lost the reality of who God is. And that's why hope has been seen as though it is taken away. But God doesn't change. The same yesterday, today and forevermore. Why not meditate in Him? Can I challenge you? Get back into regular meetings with him in community. Get back, don't miss church. Don't miss all the avenues that are there. It is precisely now that you need to be closer to the streams of water. And when you do that, you will wake up. So please drop the phone. Speak to yourself. Don't listen to yourself. 
as you meditate more and more, God said, speak to Femi, get off that. Femi, that isn't you. Femi, God is better than this. That's what we need. That's what we need. That takes me to my final point. Fulfilling hope. So this final point, fulfilling hope, is because we all have tried to set up, if, if we can draw hope from the Lord, then you will see that you don't have to forget about Nigeria. Don't think that Nigeria is just left for the doldrums, that you can do something. But I do want to leave us with one question. And particularly if you are not a Christian, is this, why is it that no matter how ideal the protest and an organization that follows, there is no ideal nation that you visit on the face of the earth? In other words, there is no nation that you go to in the earth that if the people were allowed, that you will not at least have one or two protesters or a group of protesters. Let me tell you of one country. My favorite country I've ever visited in the world is Switzerland. You know, I have my sibling uh, lives there. It is just beautiful. It's a beautiful country. Nobody does quality like them. It is one of the most equal societies on the face of the earth. And I remember seeing a documentary where they were talking about their healthcare system. I mean, they, they cracked this healthcare system so that it's not totally public. It's private, but every citizen has the right to healthcare. It just works well. Wonderful place. And in that same documentary, they showed that some people still were not satisfied because they felt they didn't have a choice. If those people had a chance, they would be able to gather together and protest. You can say the same thing about Qatar. Some people question about the human rights there. That is, there is no nation on the earth that is run by human beings that eventually will not have people dissatisfied. Why? Because humans cannot save. No one is perfect. The leaders and the citizens of the nations aren't perfect. Some of the people that complain actually should not even be complaining. But that doesn't mean they won't complain. They will still protest because they are not perfect. But what if you could get a country or a kingdom in which there was never a protest, not because protests were outlawed, but because the citizens would never see a reason to protest? What if it is so perfect? The leaders are so perfect. The citizens are so perfect. Wouldn't you want to be part of that country or that kingdom and wouldn't you want it to be, exist forever? You see, because part of the problem of putting so much of our hope, even investing our hope in, as some like to say, a new Nigeria is, there is no new Nigeria that will still be perfect. Now, we want Nigeria to be better. But if you always invest your hope in human beings and the things that human beings construct, you will still always be disappointed. How can you avoid that? The only way I see you avoid that is through a kingdom that is perfect, whose citizens are perfect, and is led by somebody who is perfect. But if human beings cannot save and cannot construct ultimate perfection, the implication is that our hope should be in God. Princes will fail us. It's only God that can do it. And that's why he said in verse 10, the Lord reigns forever. He reigns, meaning that there is a kingdom. But you say, ah, but 
How is it going to be when God wants to rule over human beings? He is God, his creator, he can't be. We still need a prince. What if we have a prince who is God, but is also a human being? Oh, God gave us such a prince. He is the prince of peace. And he came to deliver a kingdom, a nation. First, by going to the throne of his cross to die for our sins, the things that make us imperfect, but also to pay for that kingdom that you and I look forward to. You see, our protests are pointing to the fact that we want that perfect kingdom. Because when we protest and we get a better nation, we'll still see imperfections. We'll protest again. We'll keep protesting until we get to perfection. And that is pointing us to the fact that we want a perfect kingdom. That is what Jesus, the God-man, the Prince of Peace, paid for on his throne of the cross when he died to pay for that kingdom and to pay for you to be able to enter that kingdom. And after he died, he rose from the dead so that he could ascend to the throne of heaven to start to administer that kingdom. Guess what? That kingdom already exists. It has started. Jesus Christ is on the throne and he poured out his Holy Spirit here on earth so that now the kingdom of darkness that brings about all the injustices has been defeated but now he's spreading that kingdom and the reason why Christians can then work for justice is because we anticipate that the consummation of that kingdom where there will be full equity, there will be full equality, there will be no more injustice. It's because we have a view of the kingdom of justice that we can work for justice in this world. And that means, therefore, that our ultimate hope is not in this world, even though we have hopes for this world. If our ultimate hope is not in this world, where there are things that fail us in this world, we will not be in despair because the hope and the kingdom that we look forward to is guaranteed. The Lord reigns forever. That's why I want to invite you into that kingdom of Christ. To the church, as much as we want to get involved in seeing a better Nigeria, can I ask you that let's never forget that our more important work is to spread the new kingdom. While we look for a new, a, 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 while we work for a better Nigeria, we're not looking for a new Nigeria, we are looking for a new heaven and a new earth what we must be most passionate about is getting people to move from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son how do you do that acknowledge that he died for your sins and you say oh you see you're just telling me to focus on eternity it is when you are concerned about eternity when you have a vision for the kind of kingdom that you are going to you want to you want to rehearse with the kingdom that is here now and that's why we still work for justice. But in working for justice, we also work particularly to get people into this kingdom. If you're not a Christian, if you have been a protester, can I throw out this alternative universe to you? Can I give you this new reality? I'm not stopping from protesting. I'm not stopping from asking for a better Nigeria. I'm saying I want to give you a better motivation to work for a better Nigeria. A motivation that would not enable your hope to totally be vanquished. A hope 
that will ensure that you are never in despair because that kingdom is not going to be made by you and I. It's a kingdom that is made by God and ruled over by God and that you can just join by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.